We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Really excited to be back on the pod. Feels like it's been a little bit since I've uh, done one of these, so... Uh, very excited, to say the least, to hop into a special episode. Uh, we are doing an Oregon football and recruiting mailbag episode. <coughs> Excuse me. We're doing a mailbag episode, so I had some folks that wrote in on Twitter with their questions before I hopped in here. Uh, we are live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres. If you guys are here in the live chat, want to give a big thank you to you guys for stopping by and taking some of your time today to talk some ball with us. Uh, like I said, I do already have some questions that I'm going to be hitting on in this episode of the podcast, but if you want your question answered in this episode or in a future episode, make sure you follow me on Twitter at mtorissports, that name right there on your screen, and then I'll make sure to put a call out on uh, on Twitter and uh, want would love to get your guys' questions asked and answered to the best of my ability on a future episode. And then if you guys are here in YouTube uh, right now, definitely hop in the chat, say what's up. Let me know what's on your mind. Uh, let me know where you're tuning into the show from. That's always a fun one to do. And um, like I said, uh, throw a question in there. And if I can get to it, I will do my best to answer it. So we are here. Uh, we are Saturday, July 16th. Fall camp is getting very, very close Pac-12 Media Day is just about two weeks away. Uh, that is scheduled for July 29th in Los Angeles. So definitely going to be a fun time to get out there. There's going to be no shortage of topics uh, amid all this conference realignment. And uh, with so many new first-year head coaches, um, or maybe not first-year head coaches, but with so many new coaches in the Pac-12, uh, it's going to be really fun to see what everyone uh what everyone has to say at Pac-12 Media Day. For those of you that uh, maybe don't know how Pac-12 Media Day kind of functions, every school sends their head coach as well as two players uh, down to Los Angeles for the Pac-12 Media Day media event. It's basically all day just kind of getting completely immersed into Pac-12 football. So I got to cover my first one in person last year after uh, the 2021 was uh, remote. Um and you know just over zoom because of the pandemic but it was really fun uh getting to talk to the players and, and getting to ask questions to other coaches too i thought that was one of my favorite parts of the process was asking questions uh to other coaches just to kind of pick their brains uh maybe in a way that we don't usually get to uh shout out to these people in the chat mikey g says spokane checking in 
Uh, I think our, I, Mikey, you probably already know this, but yeah, I went to Gonzaga. So definitely got some love for Spokane. Shout out to all the great people there in uh, the 509. We got Mr. Eddie, the dog checking in, go ducks, steezy PDX. What's going on? Thank you guys for being here for this episode of the ducks dish podcast. So we're going to go ahead and hop into the mailbag and uh, see if we can uh, get some answers to some of the questions out here. Um, Starting things off, I have a question from Xander Brown at Mr. Underscore Z Brown on Twitter. Xander said, what's the one position you don't feel is deep enough slash good enough yet going into this year and going into 2023? And then in parentheses, what else do they need via recruiting or transfer? So I'm going to start off with kind of what's on the most, uh, what's in the most immediate future. Um, That would be heading into the 2022 season. I think I'd have to say cornerback. Um, I've been pretty adamant that that's the position that I don't know if I'd say I'm necessarily concerned about, but certainly the most intrigued by for this Oregon roster. You know, if you've been following Oregon for a while, or if you just followed them last season and then as we kind of got into the offseason, that was a, a position that saw quite a bit of shakeup for Oregon, right? You have Mikel Wright, who uh, decided to try his hand at the NFL, um, and understandably so, because I think for him, he said that part of the reason that he decided to take that opportunity to, to pursue the next level was because of the coaching transition. Um, you kind of have a guy that has a chance to go to the league or come back and develop a little bit more, but then you also have to deal with a you know, a whole new culture around the team. You have a new head coach, new position coach oftentimes. And I mean, this coach just got completely, this coaching staff just got completely changed. So that was part of it. So I think cornerback is probably the one that that I'd say that I feel is maybe not deep enough. I don't want to say I don't think it's good enough going into this year, but certainly one that has the most question marks. I think another, I don't even know if I'd say a position, but maybe another aspect of the defense is edge rusher, right? I think that's, you have whoever emerges as the team's next premier edge rusher, whether it be Braden Swinson, DJ Johnson, those are going to be some pretty big shoes to fill. So they have a lot of talent uh, on that outside linebacker spot. But uh, I think that going into the season, cornerback is the one that that I think is the biggest question mark for this defense because they lost Mikel Wright, they lost DJ James, they lost Jalen Davies. So not a lot of guys that come back to Eugene that have played a lot of football for Oregon. However, that being said, we have to look at it from both sides, right? The Ducks and this new coaching staff did do a pretty good job uh, of at least trying to fill those holes that they have on the roster. So they bring in Christian Gonzalez, who's played some really good football at Colorado these past two years. Uh, they're really hoping he can be that plug-and-play guy. Um, and that's what we're hearing you know, from some of the people that I've talked to. Is they're just saying that, that Christian Gonzalez is that guy. He's he's definitely he's got the dog in him, and, he, and he's going to really bring it this year. So I think that's probably the biggest guy that, that you're looking at to to step up um, and try to take in some of that role. Um, but other guys that we definitely need to talk about, Dante Manning, uh, he's he's battled injuries a little bit since he's been here, and that guy has a lot of potential, really athletic guy. Uh, and then you have Triquez Bridges. We'll see if he actually ends up playing corner, or maybe it looks like he's going back to, to safety. I'm just going to say this, guys. If you guys are here in the chat, I am having a bad hair day. And I'm in desperate need of a haircut. So if you're on YouTube, you have the privilege of seeing my lovely hair. But um, I'm going to get that taken care of tomorrow. So just ask that you bear with me. Uh, but yeah, so I, I say it's corner just because you don't have a ton of proven production there. 
Um, that was kind of one of the big talking points I had uh, last year with regard to some of the linebackers because they were such a young group. And then we saw a lot of that youth uh, kind of get exploited when, when Drew Mathis went down, when, when Kayvon Thibodeau went down, um, and then Jackson LaDuke was, was out for most of the year, but then he came on really strong at the end. So I'd say corner is the biggest question mark for me right now on that defense. So going into 2023, now we're kind of switching to that second part of the question. What position do I think that they you know, need, need to recruit more or uh, get some guys out of the portal? I think right now both where the roster as the roster stands and as this 2023 class stands, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest need right now in the 23 class um, behind corner, I think you have to look at the offensive line, right? Because it's, we're now at, uh, you know, year two, year three, heading into the season with kind of the same discussion, the same talking point. Okay. Look, Oregon returns a very veteran offensive line, a bunch of proven playmakers. You have TJ Bass, Molly Sala, Amavela Ulu, Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, Stephen Jones, bunch of guys that are ultimately looking at what could be their last year of college football. So Oregon's already started to address the offensive line. Uh, that was a position that was hit really hard uh, by the coaching transition last year after Mario Cristobal left. He took Alex Mirabal with him. You had some really talented guys that were already in the fold, like Kelvin Banks, Cameron Williams. Those guys both ended up at Texas. Um, Percy Lewis, uh, a big time offensive lineman out of the Juco ranks in the southeastern part of the country. So this this staff had to kind of scramble a little bit just to, to get some more bodies in that 2022 recruiting class. And I like some of the pieces that they added. You have uh, obviously Dave Uley getting him back in the fold after he decommitted uh, following the coaching transition. That was huge. I'm a huge Dave Uley fan. Um, after being able to talk to that guy a couple times, brought him on my podcast. Definitely check that out if you haven't already. That dude has an awesome energy, and he is just a workhorse. And um, I think once he gets into the weight room with Wilson Love, uh, they're really going to try to chisel him out and, and get him to that uh, that college weight just to get his body a little bit right. But he, he's got a ton of potential, and, and I really like what the body of work he was able to put together uh, at the high school level. You also have Kavika Rogers, the Hawaiian offensive lineman, uh, great to see that Oregon staff uh, looking to continue some of that Hawaiian pipeline. And you also saw that with uh, Leonel Lafau, um, who the Hawaiian linebacker that Oregon was going after, who eventually committed to Texas. But big to see Oregon back in the state of Hawaii, nonetheless. Uh, and then Josh Connerly. I mean, that was really kind of the cherry on top when it came to the offensive line haul for, for Adrian Clem, especially in that 2022 class. Uh, that was the big story after Connerly committed, right, was that when he came out with some of those top schools at the turn of the new year, Oregon wasn't really in it. And then I'm assuming that this Oregon staff saw that. They're like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll see, how, uh, we'll see you know, how, th- how this one really ends up. And then they were able to, to win out uh, ultimately over, over USC. That was the, the big recruit. That was like the first massive recruiting win, I think, for, for this Oregon staff. You could argue Jaleel Florence uh, after he whittled his – choices down to Oregon and SC the second time around as a recruit, but then you have the whole awesome story about how Dan Lanning called Jaleel Florence as he's walking off the field, fresh off of winning a national championship with Georgia. So um, I think that right now you have to turn the attention to the offensive line class to, to answer this question in, in 2023, uh, because you're in a really good spot with a couple guys, but you haven't had any results yet. You haven't landed any commitments, but, but there's definitely a couple guys that, could find themselves hopping in the fold here for Oregon sooner than later. 
Um, I think one of the biggest ones has to be Miles McVay, the talented offensive lineman out of East St. Louis. I talked to him after his official visit to Oregon at the end of June, and he was saying that he's kind of in the end game with his recruitment. Um, and then shortly after that, he decided to announce a, you know, a commitment date of August 11th, I believe it is. So that's a big guy you got to watch out for. A couple schools are still in the picture there, though. You have Alabama, Michigan State, Texas A&M, I believe. So there, that, that's going to be one that I think this Oregon staff has done a really good job recruiting, but those other schools aren't going to go down without a fight. So um, he did, he does have two remaining official visits left in that recruitment. So we'll see if he ends up utilizing those. But right now he told me that those are scheduled for um, the fall. Uh, I think he's going to the Alabama game when they play Texas A&M. And then he said he was also trying to go to the Florida game when they play LSU, I believe it was. Um, but, you know, time can change, you know, things can change. The visit schedule can change with the time that uh, they still have, you know, between now and those uh, visits. I, I think I, I listed Miles McVay as one of my uh, next recruits to commit to Oregon. Uh, and that story I did, I believe it was last month or maybe a little bit earlier this month. But um, I think Oregon's in a really good spot there. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to continue to believe that until someone tells me otherwise. Um trying to remember if there's anything else I wanted to say about Miles McVay. Um, but he's a really talented guy in the uh, 2023 class. I'm going to see. And then you have Logan Reichert, the uh, offensive lineman out of Kansas City, I believe it is. I know he's from Missouri. Um, so you have some good connections on the staff uh, with Dan Lanning and Greg Jones, both coming out of the state of Missouri. And then you also hosted him for a visit on campus this summer. So I think that that has to make you feel a little bit better uh, as far as just your chances go with, with Logan Riker. So I think that was pretty big to, uh, to have him, um, in the running. So let me see. I'm, I'm, I know I'm forgetting a couple of names, but I'm just, uh, okay. Yeah, Lonnie Noah, that's another guy that, that Oregon's, um, hosting or did host actually at the end of June. Um, appreciate that comment from, uh, from Matthew Shane. Um, you have, uh, so he's at a Grant Union, Sacramento High School. Really big dude, 6'4", 320. Um, looking like he probably play along the interior offensive line. And I think the biggest name, uh, aside from um, aside from Miles McVay, that I'm really confident in, has to be Micah Benuelos. He's the uh, interior offensive lineman out of Kennedy Catholic in Burien, Washington. He was, he's an FSP guy, which uh, Oregon has done a phenomenal job just making that FSP pipeline from Washington down to Eugene. And then um, we're seeing that we saw that come into the fold again recently when the Ducks landed Ashton Cozart, who is playing uh, his junior senior seasons uh, out in Texas at Martin High School in Flower Mound. But uh, he's originally from the Pacific Northwest, and, and that played a big part in um, in landing him. So those are some big names to watch. Uh, they're also in the running for uh, Olas Alinen, um, but it looks like Miami's picked up a lot of uh, – that's the big uh, Finnish offensive lineman. And uh, we've seen some of the interviews that, that he's done out at the Future 50 event in Florida. Um, looks like he's going to be announcing this month, but I think that Miami looks like the projected uh, leader at this point. So let me see if I can get into some more of these comments. Next question comes from Birdman at GoDucks1980 on Twitter. Birdman asks, what are the chances that Oregon is not allowed to contend for national titles in 10 years? 
Um, this is a, an interesting question. And Birdman, if you're here in the uh, chat, maybe you can uh, leave me a comment. But when you say not allowed to contend for national titles in 10 years, I'm, I'm not super sure what that means. I mean, when you when you, I hear not allowed, I think about how so many people are talking about Notre Dame situation and how they've been an independent. And the only way that they would maybe join a conference is if they're not allowed uh, to play for a national championship where they get excluded from the playoff uh, in some way because of their criteria potentially requiring uh, a conference championship. Um, so I, I don't feel like the, the chances are particularly high that Oregon isn't allowed, is not allowed to contend for a national title in 10 years. Maybe we can take a little bit of a different angle with this question and just talk about if I see them in the national championship picture in 10 years. I think if you continue on this trajectory that you've been on for a while at Oregon with regard to on the field performance and recruiting, I think Oregon should absolutely be in the conversation for a national title or at least the playoff um, 10 years from now, because not only are they recruiting at a really high level uh, for the most part last season, they were playing at a very high level on the field. Um, things definitely fell off against Utah in both of those games, right? You know what I mean? You don't need to watch the game again for me to tell you that or for you to know that. Um, but you also saw some games against some pretty bad teams that got a lot closer than they needed to be. Um, Cal being one of them, uh, that was probably the one that, that stood out the most. And then the fact that it took them as long as it did to put away Arizona. So I think if, if Oregon can keep recruiting well, they can blow out some of their teams, some of the teams that they play in the regular season. Uh, as well as be really competitive. And obviously you want to win some of these non-conference games, like these games against Georgia. I think if, if you're able to compete in that game and, and, you know, just really hold your own, obviously if you're a Duck fan or if you're on this team, uh, you want to win that game. But I don't think that leaving Atlanta without a win isn't the end of the world. I don't think that leaving Atlanta without a win is the end of the world. Uh, I think there's a lot of silver lining to be found, especially when you're playing a team as loaded as that one. Obviously they lost a lot of guys from that defense that won the national title last year. And that was best in the country, literally just historic numbers. But I think that I'm really happy that they're playing Georgia because it's a good barometer. I think it's, it's a hard barometer for this new staff. I mean, for that to be your first game uh, at a new school is, is definitely not ideal. Uh, but I think that's really good um, for, for them to be put to the test early because that's what recruits are telling me about to a degree. Um, I remember I was talking to Micah after his official visit, Micah Van Willis, who we just mentioned. And I was asking him what he was most excited about when it comes to Oregon. And he was saying, honestly, the competition, that's what these guys want. Not only do players want to play with good players and practice against good players at their school, they want to be tested on the biggest stage. Uh, you don't want to be going against, you know, cupcake non-conference uh, opponents. I think that going, against the best the sport has to offer goes a very long way um, because it shows that you're committed to holding your school to the highest standard. You know, if I think even if you're not there right now, which I don't think Oregon necessarily is, I think Oregon's in a championship window right now, which is a, a very interesting discussion. And I think something I've talked about a couple of times on this podcast, the timing of Dan Linney's hire in this championship window is very interesting. I wonder if the championship window gets readjusted if Oregon isn't in the Pac-12, because we're not seeing, we're not getting a lot of answers on conference realignment right now. We know that USC and UCLA aren't leaving until 2024, but you could maybe make the argument that Oregon's national championship window closed a little bit, or you know, got a little bit more narrow um, 
when this news happened with, with USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten because Oregon could find themselves in a position where they're only playing in the Pac-12 for two more years. And the Pac-12 is a weak conference. So you got to be able to, to run through the Pac-12 while you're still in it. That's the main point that I'm getting at. And then we got we got Matthew saying here, Oregon needs to win a natty to be invited to the Big Ten. Uh, I, I don't know if I go that far, but I know there's a lot of factors at play. The biggest being the you know the media market and the TV market, um, but I think that would definitely support my argument that uh, that Oregon no school would benefit more from a national title than than Oregon in in today's college football. Um, so Birdman, I hope that answered your questions as far as what are the chances that Oregon is not allowed to contend for national titles in ten years. I don't see that happening, even with all this uh, realignment craziness. I feel like Oregon's still going to have a seat at the table. Um, it's a premier brand in the sport, and I think regardless of where you're located in the country, you know, those big, those big wigs uh, that, you know, run the TV networks and everything, they know that people are going to want to watch Oregon and, and Oregon's going to draw eyeballs no matter where they're playing or when they're playing. So that was a cool, uh, cool question. Um, got another question here. We got this one from Gerard Berry at GT Berry on Twitter. Shout out to Gerard. He's a frequent listener and friend of the program. Um, Gerard asks, are there different types of scholarship offers? For example, in the 2023 class, Oregon offered 38 wide receivers. Obviously we don't expect or want all 38 of them to say yes. Is there a process for some of all, some or all athletes offered a scholarship if they want to accept hashtag ducks dish hashtag go ducks. Uh, appreciate you hashtagging your question, Gerard. Uh, with uh, with Ducks Dish, we love it when you guys uh, use the hashtag to get your question, um, you know, thrown into the mix here on the show. So this is a good question because I think this Oregon staff has a very different approach in one specific regard from the previous Oregon staff, and that is they just sent out offers left and right. You get an like the Oprah Show, you get an offer, you get an offer, you get an offer, which on the surface you could say makes it look less valuable. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the coaching staff still has all the power when it comes to these scholarship offers, because um, I feel like a lot of people, you, you probably know if you followed recruiting for a while, that not every offer is committable, right? And what, what do I mean by that? What do we mean when we say an offer is committable? You know, there, there could be a, a situation for any school. It doesn't even have to apply to Oregon here. Um, but I'm sure Oregon's found themselves in this situation before where a player gets an offer and, you know, what, what do we hear all the time? Oh, Oregon's the dream school. So maybe they go to the staff and say, coach, I want to commit. I'm ready. This is the place I want to be. Well, they might, that, that coach might say, you know, well, I, I don't think that um, maybe, maybe now's not the right time. Uh, we want you to keep looking at your options and, you know, maybe take some visits. So you really feel good about this. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta keep the guy, keep the guy warm. Right. And then maybe once you get some more other pieces that are maybe a little bit more, of a priority for you, maybe then you can kind of reevaluate things and see, okay, how do, how do our numbers look right now at this position? Um, or, you know, is this a guy that we still want? Um, Cause I feel like that's a big part of the game uh, as far as recruiting goes and extending scholarships, because you kind of just, it's like you missed every shot you don't take in a certain way. Right. When you're talking about offers. Um, but you also want to, make sure that you're in the mix with these guys. And sometimes extending that scholarship offer is the the first, you know, the way you get your foot in the door. So 
Um, I wouldn't say that there's technically different types of offers, but um, I think that's a big thing. Not every offer is necessarily committable. Uh, you have some programs uh, in college football. I feel like Clemson is the one that comes to mind the most as far as I think they hold themselves to a higher standard or so they like to say um, with regards to not offering a guy unless he is committable. So maybe that would be a little bit of a change from, from what we've seen at Oregon possibly or what I'm kind of hypothesizing here um, is uh, if someone gets a scholarship offer and then they want to commit on the spot, maybe then that's a, a different conversation than our, our little hypothetical that I brought up a little bit longer ago, a little bit before. So, um, God, words are hard sometimes. I just got to slow down. So, I, I mean, I don't want to say there's different types of scholarship offers, really, but I feel like timing is a huge part of it. All these huge runs that you see a lot of schools go on, and I think want like a run that Oregon is waiting for because they got Dante Moore in the fold, a lot of it has to do with timing. So someone might go and say, hey, I want to commit and on their visit, for example. They'll say, I want to commit, and they'll get locked in on the visit. But then the staff will say, well, okay, just, you know, we're going to, we're going to have you hold on for a second, hold off for a second, wait until, uh, wait until we get to a certain part in the calendar year, and then we can really snowball it and get that momentum. So I feel like the timing of everything is, is a very crucial aspect when we're talking about all of the, all of these different dynamics when it comes to scholarship offers. All right. We're rolling right along here. Uh, next question comes from Brian Perrine. Hopefully I'm saying that at B Perrine 23 on Twitter. Brian asks, I know it was great, but just how great slash special was Spencer Webb's legacy as far as being there for the underclassmen and future recruits. Yeah. I, I mean this, so definitely want to take a second to, uh, you know, just express my condolences to the, the whole Oregon community and uh, you know, the, my audience um, and just, you know, kind of take a moment for, for Spencer um, I didn't talk to him too much um, while, while he was uh, at Oregon. Um, I think most fans know that, that he passed away after a, a tragic accident um, with a, a serious head injury at a Triangle Lake around, the, around there. Um, but he was always just a guy I feel like you could just, even if we weren't talking to him that day, he always had just such a special spirit about him. He was always acting goofy. Uh, even if we weren't talking to him after practice, you know, he would, he would kind of go to the little media circle where we have all our cameras set up and he was like, Oh, you guys want to talk to me? Or you just kind of like be goofy, uh, in the circle. Um, so he was, he was definitely a guy that I think just brought a lot of people up. And as far as his, his legacy, um, being there for the underclassmen and, and future recruits, Spencer Webb, he was, he was very outspoken just about how he's had a tough journey to, to get to Oregon. Um, and how, how, I mean, there was a lot of odds stacked against him, but he was, he was always showing up for his fellow teammates, for his coaches. And even if he wasn't, maybe wasn't getting the most snaps, he was still putting his all. And that was one of the things that he really prided himself on. He, he said, you know, he kind of wants to be that guy that kids are watching, uh, you know, on, on TV or maybe at the game saying, you know, if Spencer can make it then, uh, you know, I can make it. Why can't I do it? So I think he, he really uh, hung his hat on that. And and just every player um, that, that we talked to just always had so many great things to say about him, especially uh, Maliki Matavao and, and Terrence Ferguson, those guys that, uh, you know, are some of the, are the youngest tight ends in that room. Um, and they, you know, they talked about how 
Spencer just really helped them in their journey. Spencer and the rest of those veteran tight ends. So uh, I think that his, his he leaves a an awesome legacy at Oregon. You know, definitely a a lot of great highlights from Spencer, and and he was always someone who who really had a, an awesome spirit and just way about him. So definitely, uh, he he's in uh he's in our thoughts and prayers, and um you know all the love and positivity goes out to to his family. Uh, the Oregon team, the Oregon coaches, and um, just everyone, because it's definitely been a, a, a pretty somber week uh, in, the, in the Oregon community just with, with that tragic news. So um, not really sure how to how to move on after that question, um, you know, when things kind of got on, on a somber note. But I definitely wanted to um, definitely wanted to, to take some time to talk about Spencer and, and answer that question. Um, once a duck, always a duck. And uh, definitely rest in peace for for Spencer. Um, so we are actually going to go ahead and take a quick break, and then we will resume our uh, Oregon football uh, and recruiting mailbag questions on the other side. Stick around. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, welcome back to the Duck's Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are doing a mailbag episode today on Saturday as I record this. Uh, shout out to everybody who is here in the live chat. We've got some great comments and questions thrown our way that I'll try to get to once I get through these other questions. If you guys are here watching live on YouTube, just do me a quick favor, smash that like button and smash the subscribe button uh, and make sure to hit the notification bell um, so you don't miss any future live streams on the channel. All right, we have 
question here from Aaron Martinez uh, on Twitter. Aaron asks, do you think getting Dante more raises our chances of getting Richard Young? Hashtag Ducks Dish. Yeah, I think this is the question that uh, everybody was really asking um, after Dante Moore committed to Oregon, right? Was who's next or who, which recruits is, is, uh, is Dante Moore's commitment going to help Oregon with? And I think Richard Young has to be one of those guys. Not only were they visiting on the same weekend prior to Dante's commitment, um, that they'd be in the backfield together. Uh, I think Oregon's class right now, you have to feel really good about the offensive weapons that you have in place. Like I said, you got to have some, some more pieces on that offensive line hall. Uh, well, they don't have any, so you absolutely need more. But from a wide receiver standpoint, you have Ashton Kozar, you have Jerion Dickey. Um, and then you also, you know, just looking in the backfield, you, you have Dante Dowdell, the Mississippi running back. So you got to be feeling pretty good about the, uh, the weapons that you have right now for Oregon uh, in this 2023 class. But I think we, we've said it a million times, right? Good players want to play with good players. And we're seeing a lot of movement as far as uh, running backs go. I mean, um, let me see some of the uh, other guys that, that Oregon's offered here in the 2023 class uh, at running back. But I feel like he's Richard Young has really emerged as the main guy that they're waiting to add. And I know that they want to get two backs in this class. Um, but I feel like he's probably the biggest name right now that, that Oregon fans uh, definitely want to keep an eye on. Uh, he and he um, recently announced the top three of Oregon, Alabama, and Georgia. So Oregon's definitely in a good spot, but they are against about as heavyweights uh, of programs as you could possibly find yourself. Um, but yeah, just the case in point with, with that question is that if you have an elite quarterback, this is the kind of guy that you can use to you know sell your program to to market your pitch to these guys. You want to take uh, you want to be taken handoffs from from Dante Moore you want to be catching passes out of the backfield from Dante Moore and just Dante's highlights and body of work speak for itself and, and he's definitely got an awesome head on his shoulders when I was watching his commitment he just handled himself really really well um and I know that he wanted to he's one of those guys that that kind of wanted to just go through the whole process with his teammates and you know use the prestige that he had as a recruit to, to kind of you know, share the wealth with, uh, with some of his other teammates to try to, you know, have other schools, other coaches, you know, like, let me put you on to, to this guy, my teammate, if you need a wide receiver or what have you. So I think Dante Moore, you know, with him being the highest rated quarterback to commit to Oregon in program history, um, it's, it's huge. So I think that it's going to create waves on the recruiting trail and particularly for Richard Young. I think that he's the, the guy that you got to keep your eyes on because he hasn't set a commitment date just yet. Um, and we have to see when that recruitment will, will ultimately wind down. So great question from, from Aaron, as far as Dante Moore and Oregon's chances with Richard Young. Let's see. I think we got one more question that I want to get to from Twitter. This is another one from Xander Brown. And Xander asked, who are the kids the Ducks have recruited in 2022 or 2023 cycle that you feel like are can't miss? So I, I was a little confused by the question at first. So um, eventually I ended up, um, let's see, I ended up asking Xander. We were DMing a little bit. My DMs are always open. 
Uh, so if you guys want to send me a message or send your question, definitely feel free to do that at mTOR sports is where you can find me. But basically Xander was asking, which guys do you think you're like most confident are going to be studs from the 2022 and 2023 class classes. So I think for me with, with Oregon in this 2022 class, Oh man, they got a lot of really, really talented guys. Um, I'm going to go with two right now. I'm going to go with one on each side of the ball for, for offense in 2022. I think that you just have to look at the the upside and potential for, for Kyler Casper, the, the Arizona wide receiver who committed to Oregon. And then things got even better for the ducks when they uh, received the news that he was going to be reclassifying to join the team uh, this year. Um, you know, it looks like from, from social media that Kyler has arrived at Oregon. Uh, so he's with the team as they prep for fall camp. I think what just makes him so special is his size and athleticism. You just don't have a lot of guys. You don't find a lot of guys that are that athletic. Um, he just, you just do just bounces. He got bounced out of the gym. He's, he can jump out of the gym. Um, and he can throw down dunks and he's definitely a guy that you could just look at as a ma- miss matchup nightmare. Gosh, words are hard. Um, but I think I'm just really excited about him because he's he's kind of just a different a different you know type of athlete from some of these other wide receivers uh, in the room for for Oregon. I think that when you're looking at athleticism, I feel like you have to look at Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin, Chase Coda as well. A lot of these guys just do a lot of different things the right way. Um, but but Kyler is one of those guys that I think if you get him the ball in space, you can kind of get the ball to him wherever. And I think he's going to make an impact. So I feel like, I, I mean, I, I guess I would call him can't miss. I know he was super, super uh, highly recruited um, and highly coveted by programs across the country. Tennessee being, I think, the school that Oregon uh, was able to edge out for that commitment. But I got to say that my eyes are definitely on Kyler Casper in the 2022 class as far as offense goes, um, just from the high school ranks. And then for defense, this one's really interesting. I'm going to go in the secondary for defense and I, I don't, I almost don't know which, which Jaleel to take. Cause I was thinking about Jaleel Florence or Jaleel Tucker. Um, I, I think that Jaleel Tucker has been playing football longer, but Jaleel Florence's story and his, his path to, to Oregon is definitely just really interesting for me because he wasn't really playing that much football. I don't think until he got to the high school level, and he's got that crazy speed. We saw the ball skills. We saw the football IQ, the feel for the game when he had that interception in the spring game. So I feel like when now that he's at Oregon, he's going to be able to get some some really high level coaching that could really help take him to the next level. And um, just because of the the inexperience in that room, he he could end up seeing the field sooner rather than later. Albeit, cornerback is one of the hardest positions to play early uh, at the college level. So. That's definitely a tough one to hit, but I think Jaleel Florence getting here early definitely helps him. Uh, his his teammate Jaleel Tucker got here um, I think a couple of weeks ago um, after choosing to finish out his high school career at Lincoln and uh, have his senior track season. So that's big. You definitely, you know, high school only comes around once, so can't knock anybody for that. And then for 2023 uh, for Oregon, kind of the guys that, that maybe it looks like they're a little bit can't miss or that we're you know, really feeling like they could be studs. Um, oh man, I think I want to go with Cole Martin, uh, the corner, just because he, he's got a different level of twitch and explosiveness to his game. Um, and I think that 
having his dad as the quarterback's coach is only going to help him, you know, only accelerate his development at the college level because his dad's going to know how to coach him. They're going to have a good chemistry, kind of like we already saw with, with Christian Gonzalez and, and uh, Coach Meat, both coming over from Colorado. But I think that Cole Martin is just that playmaker. I think he can also add additional value in special teams, like we saw with Mikel Wright. So I think that Cole Martin is just a really twitchy athlete and he does a lot of different things well. Um, so I'd say that I'm going to kind of deem him as maybe one of those can't miss guys from the 2023 class that Oregon already has in the fold. All right. So that was my last question for, from the mailbag um, that were already sent in. Um, so I'm going to see if I can get to some of these questions here in the comments. Um, we have one from KUX Overlanding and Trailing Adventures checking in from Guam, longtime duck fan. Thanks for being with us from Guam. How cool is that? Uh, and his question is, do you feel like Bo Nix can take a big step forward behind a veteran line? Yeah, I th the thing with Bo that I'm kind of curious about is, you know, he's already played three years of, of college football. So, you know, and in one respect, my question kind of is, you know, how, how much better can he get? You know, how much of, of his potential is still uh, untapped or what, what steps do we kind of see that he still needs to make? And I think the biggest one that people are kind of drawn to after seeing him play at Auburn and then seeing him play at Oregon in the spring game um, is the decision making, right? Because he has really good athleticism, awesome mobility, knows how to extend the play, sometimes ex extends the play too long. And, you know, maybe tries to, to fit in some throws uh, a little bit late or behind guys. So I feel like that's kind of the step that we're looking for, right, is is how is he going to grow as a decision maker? Can we clean up some of those stats? Can we clean up the fumbles? Can we clean up uh, or turnovers in general, right, the, the interceptions? I think that's what you're going to be looking for. And there's reason to believe that he can take a big step forward behind a veteran line. And I, I would say that you can count me in for those that believe he can take a big step forward behind a line this a better line this year because the Oregon offensive line is better than what he had at Auburn. Uh, he's got a loaded group of skill positions, skill talent, any position that he's going to be throwing the ball to, whether it be wide receiver, running back, tight end, he's got really good depth there, really capable players that, um, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to do a lot. He just needs to put the ball in a good spot for those guys to go up and get it. Um, and that's what I think, maybe was was tough about watching Anthony Brown play last year is that he didn't take risks, but he, that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, I, I'd almost rather have a guy that's willing to throw the ball deep and have some turnovers than just someone who's not willing to throw it deep. And, you know, the play calling obviously was, wasn't really helping that much last year with how, how run heavy it was. But when I was watching, I say that to say when I was watching Bo Nix last year um, and just watching some of his highlights this off season, <coughs> excuse me he doesn't always throw the prettiest ball and he, you know not everything is you know on a rope but he puts the ball there like a, 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 in the spot where his guy can get it maybe the next step now is is dialing in on that accuracy and putting it where only his guy can get it so maybe we we now have the conversation about decision making and accuracy um so i think that that's really good um as far as areas for him to grow and then another factor that I think is going to help his growth or at least help him look better is just the defenses that he's going to be going against. Um, because if you're playing against the SEC defenses, which are more often than not the best defenses that the sport has to offer, 
You come out west of the Pac-12, which, like we said, is a weak conference. Doesn't mean there aren't schools with good defenses, but just a weaker conference. You're, you're going to have a little bit of an easier time, I think. And that's kind of how some people probably feel uh, about Bo Nix going into next season. Uh, and then we also have a comment. DJ Johnson is going to be in a lot of highlight reels this year. I definitely agree. Uh, that dude should have been playing defense since he got to Oregon, but he also made an impact on offense. So definitely nothing wrong with that. Seeing him go both ways on the offensive and defensive lines. Well, on offense and defense. We'll see if, if you want to count tight end as an offensive lineman or not. Uh, Mr. Eddie the Dog's question. Getting a lot of disrespect from UGA fans thinking Georgia is going to roll all over us in September. Do you think they are underrating the Ducks? Yeah, I think, well, if, if you're talking about Georgia fans, they're, they're, they're going to be confident because they're coming off of a national title, right? But I actually just rolled out some way too early predictions over on Ducks Digest with some of my other writers um, talking about our predictions for that game. And I put in 31 to 20 and maybe I'll need to dial that back a little bit. But the reason I wanted to go there is because some people think that a 14 point difference, um, you know, a 14 point score differential is, you know, kind of a beat down or handily defeating a team. So I think that you can put me in the camp of, I think Oregon can certainly be competitive. I don't think right now, as we stand here before fall camp, I don't think that, I'm ready to say that I think uh, Oregon's going to win that game, but there's definitely reason for them to feel for people to think that they could at least be competitive. Look at that game against Ohio state last year. And now is Ohio state, Georgia? No, but you have a guy at quarterback who's very experienced, but I don't think he does anything just at an elite level that you're really, really concerned about. And then that's a very young defense that they're going to have for Georgia after all that talent that they lost, but how are they going to make up for, being a young defense, well, you just have the cupboard completely stocked with just elite talent because Georgia recruits at a top five, top three level every year, and they have some really good coaches on that staff. So I think that you could say that that uh, Georgia's underrating the Ducks a little bit, but I think that there's reason for both sides to, to be confident here. So I think maybe nationally, um, I think nationally they, they are a little bit uh, getting underrated here and, and maybe Georgia is, is underrating the Ducks. So I think af I could see why they would underrate the Ducks too, though, because look at how last season ended, you know, but it's a different, a different team, different coaching staff um, than last year. So I think they're underrating the Ducks a little bit, but you can see the reason for that, um, you know, from, from both sides with how great Georgia has been and then how Oregon's kind of just left a lot to be desired. I think. Let's see what we got here. Um, property quick close and SCO. Uh, let's see what else. Ken Well says if Oregon beats Georgia week one, it could really set the tone for our season and the program. You know, we're a program podcast, so we'll, we'll let that one slide, but no, that's, I mean, for Oregon to get a win over Georgia would be massive. Uh, just for, It'd, be, it'd mean a lot because I think if you can beat Georgia in week one, you can show that last year against Ohio State wasn't just a one-off. If you beat Georgia, you can say, you know, we're here to stay. We're going to – we've shown multiple times now that we can hang against the game's Blue Bloods, which goes back to my point earlier about competition and why it's so valuable to not only recruit the best and have the best players on your roster, but to be testing them every year. Uh, and then depending on what happens with this conference stuff, testing them every week. 
Um, so I totally agree with this point that it could really set the tone for the season and for the program. Um, things don't necessarily get a whole lot easier in the non-conference slate. You have BYU, obviously, and then uh, Eastern Washington, which I don't think is a slouch. Uh, the last time that Eastern Washington came to Eugene, they, were, they definitely had their hands full uh, with a guy named Cooper Cup. So um, I think this is huge. I'm, I'm definitely um, definitely excited to see what they can do in, um, in that game. So Matthew has a question. Why don't boosters pay walk-on tuitions, take guys that would go to Utah State or Colorado State instead? I don't have a specific answer for why this doesn't happen. I don't know whether it happens or not. Um, why I mean, if they're walk-ons and they're not, they're probably not getting their tuitions paid for. Um, but I think one thing that's very interesting that maybe people don't talk about a lot with this new era of, of NIL is um, I think that NIL makes Oregon a, a more attractive place for a walk-on, right? You're going to a, a school that uh, is going to help you build your brand. That is one of the, one of the top, you know, 25 college football programs in the country, top 15, I would probably argue every year. So I think that Oregon's kind of an underrated destination for, for walk-ons because they can still, you know, have a platform and still elevate their brand um, from an NIL standpoint, just by being at a school like Oregon. So um, I think that a lot of walk-ons in this most recent class in this 2022 class probably saw that, you know, Oregon added a bunch of preferred walk-ons, particularly from the state of Oregon. Um, you have Cole Prussia, you have Ellis Bynum. So I think that a lot of these guys probably saw um, how, even though they're not on scholarship, you know, if they're just walk-on, they're walk-on guys, I shouldn't say just walk-on, but if they're walk-on guys, they can still benefit from, uh, from NIL um, just because they're out of school like Oregon. All right, let's see. <clears throat> um, do. Gerard asks, do you think there's any chance California Governor Newsom and the UC Regents prevent UCLA from moving to the Big Ten? If so, would that open the door for Oregon to take their place? Yeah, this, this is a really tough one because I think that's one of the reasons that people were shocked that UCLA made this move is because they are a public school under the UC system, so they're still tied. They're always going to be tied to the state. Um you know, at, at some level, right? Um, whereas USC, they're a private school, so they definitely have some more flexibility uh, when it comes to moving to a conference of their choice. So, I mean, I guess there could be a chance that that uh, Governor Newsom does that uh, along with the, the UC regents, but um, I don't know. I'd be really interested to see how those conversations go down behind closed doors. Um, maybe the UC is saying, you know, we'll, we'll give you or maybe UCLA is saying we'll give you an extra, some extra money to kind of offset some of the losses uh, from us leaving for the Big Ten. Um, but it, it seems like it would it would maybe open the door for Oregon to take their place. But the Big Ten's made it pretty clear that that Notre Dame is the um, is the preferred choice right now for the next school to be included into the Big Ten. But they have all the leverage, and I feel like the more reports that come out it just doesn't look like they're going to have an answer or some finality in the near future here, which is why it kind of looks like on the surface, why a, a PAC 12 big 12 merger is maybe a little bit more likely uh, here in the days of conference realignment. Um, yeah. Robin right there, right on cue. Robin saying, I would like to see 
Big 12 combined with the Pac-12. Um, another question from Robin. Is there any three stars that are on the move to a four-star heading into their senior year? Uh, I'm assuming that that's talking about the Oregon 2023 class right now. Um, let's see. I think I think one guy that would probably that could find themselves in that consideration. I have to look at the tape a little bit more closely and just do some more research. But uh, one of Oregon's earlier commits, that is defensive lineman Tevita Pomee, out of the state of Utah. He is currently listed as a three-star on the 247 composite, .8853, number six player in the state. Utah is one of those schools or one of those um, states that has a lot of really, really solid programs you have uh you have corner canyon you have orem where uh the ducks found noah sewell and corner canyon you have jackson powers johnson harrison taggart kearns where uh the ducks found jeffrey bossa in the 2021 class so utah continues to elevate itself as a uh, producer of talent and i think the competition is pretty good um you also have spencer fano out there in utah he's not committed anywhere right now but I feel like if, if Tavita can have a really solid season, uh, I don't know who uh, Leighton Christian Academy is playing, if they have any big uh, out-of-state matchups. I know a lot of schools try to do that um, every year um, to just test their guys, like we see with the non-conference schedule for Oregon. So I feel like he, I would say, is a guy that could maybe be on his way to four-star status just because, I, I mean, that that dude, he's 6'3", 315, and, and there's not a whole lot of bad weight on that guy. So – if you can have him at three bills, like ready to go once he gets to Oregon, I feel like that would would really be a big help for them. So I think he's probably got to be the one that uh, that I would think right now could potentially find themselves getting that bump to four star status. Frosty Dog Gaming asks, "What are the odds on Richard Young committing to Oregon?" Yeah, this one was asked a little bit earlier, but I'll I'll head on it again. I mean, right now it's down to Alabama, Georgia, and Oregon. So I know that Oregon's Oregon's definitely in a good spot. Anytime you find yourself in the final three, they got the last official visit for Richard Young. Um, and and they already have a really good back in place in Dante Dowdell. And you have the whole thunder and lightning possibility with, with the you know the differences in play style between the two backs. So I feel like if you're Oregon, you definitely have to be feeling like you're in a pretty good spot now when it comes to your chances of landing Richard Young. It seemed like when this new staff got here and they were still recruiting Richard Young, it seemed like it was a bit of a long shot. But then we saw how real things got once they were able to get that fifth and final official visit over Ohio State. And they got him out here. And then you see videos of, of you know Richard Young and Dante Moore dancing to shout with, with Kenny Dillingham on the visit, right? And that's not going to be necessarily a game breaker. But now that Dante is in the fold, I think that he's the – Dante Moore's commitment – probably helps Oregon the most with Richard Young just compared to the targets they still have left on their board. And then you also have the offensive lineman, right? Kind of like we were saying with taking handoffs from Dante Moore if you're Richard Young or catching passes from Dante Moore if you're uh, a receiver, right? Now you're able to market, you know, do you want to, who wouldn't want to block for this guy? You know, everyone always has good things to say about Dante and he uh, had some recent seven on seven highlights that were just breathtaking. Uh, just the dude just, is so, so talented and, and he's just got a really quick release. Uh, the ball gets where it needs to be in a hurry. And, and there's a lot of really good, uh, a really, a lot of really good parts of his game that, uh, that we like. Let's see. 
Um, Mikey G asks, how is Eugene with everyone in town for the, for WCH 22? So world, yeah, world championships. It's funny that you asked that because right before I got on here to, uh, hop in this, uh, podcast, you know, in this live stream, I'm just doing a little bit of work on my laptop. And then just like a couple days ago, I just hear this roar, just ripping over my, over my house. And um, it was a, a fighter jet because they're doing some flyovers for worlds. That, and that was really, really cool. Um, you know, a lot of parts are, are kind of shut down, whether you're out by Autzen. I was at the Eugene Emerald game yesterday and uh, Leo Harris Parkway was, was definitely um, was, was shut down a bit, just I think for the, the worlds. So it's, you know, it's very lively. It's buzzing. Uh, you know, a lot of areas are shut down for you know traffic congestion and whatnot, but it's a, it's a great time for, for Oregon just because they're, they're able to, you know, show why they're track town USA and why there's big time sports and, in, in Eugene, I think that was the, that was the biggest thing that kind of stood out to me when I moved out here was, you know, um, it's just crazy to live here and be around here and, it's a really small town, but they have some big, big time athletics. So that's kind of what, what makes it really cool. Another question from Frosty Dog Gaming. Could Dante Moore come in in 2023 and have a high chance of winning starting quarterback as a freshman? Yeah, I think that that's definitely got to be on the table. He is that good of a player, as uh, Breezy said in the chat. Because um, I think for, for Oregon – kind of how I see it playing out is that, you know, Bo Nix looks like the the projected starter at quarterback for this year, but that hasn't been named official. He hasn't been named the starter officially of yet uh, or of late. That hasn't happened yet. So we have to wait for official word from Dan Lenny and the rest of the coaches. But um, let's just say that Bo Nix gets the job, plays for a year, tries to go to the NFL, and then it's wide open all over again. I think for Oregon, they want to find themselves in a spot where they feel good enough about Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield to have one of those guys be the starting quarterback next year. Um, especially you want to get those guys snaps this year, but then you have uh, Dante Moore coming in probably enrolling early. That's what most quarterbacks do. Right. And then if I'm Dante Moore, I'm going to come in and say, Hey, I'm going to give this my best shot. Let's see if I can kind of, uh, you know, shake things up and then see if I can find the field early. Um, but it's just, it's such a, um, it's such a crazy deal with quarterbacks. There's just, you don't see a lot of guys play as true freshmen, you know, look at, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, he's probably the most notable example, I would say, um, Tua could be another guy. I believe he played as a true freshman, Bryce Young redshirted. So I'm trying to think of some other guys. I mean, Herbert, Justin Herbert played as a true freshman, but the Ducks ended up going four and eight. And uh, he only really saw the field because Dakota Prukop was, was not getting it done because he was named the starter after transferring from Montana state. Um, so I think if, if Dante Moore can come in and start as a freshman in 2023, um, I don't think that it's, that's not the situation you want to find yourself in. You don't want to find yourself in the position where, you're like, okay, we got this stud in 2023, but like we're kind of in the you know in a spot where we need him to play as a freshman. You don't want that to be the case because then that would probably mean that you're not developing uh, the other quarterbacks in the room. Uh, we kind of at the level that you need to. Yeah, Breezy talking here about. Uh, I just heard those jets like a half an hour ago and had no idea what the noise was. Yeah, because I heard it for the first time a couple of days ago and I was like, what is happening? And then I ran outside to try to see it. 
Um, and I think that uh, some of my neighbors were kind of saying, oh, yeah, I think they had the, the flyover for for the world. So it's a, it's an exciting time in Eugene. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, especially with with the worlds. But um, but yeah, guys, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap the show up there. If you guys were able to catch it on the live stream at Oregon Football Max Taurus on YouTube, definitely want to say thank you guys for stopping on by and taking some time out of your day to talk some ball with us, talk some ducks, talk some recruiting uh always want to um you know make sure we hit that on pretty much every episode um and i'm doing my best to get you guys the best information that i can so uh yeah before i get out of here make sure you tap in with me on twitter at m tourist sports i'm actually i pointed to the right side i feel like i can never do that but yeah follow me on twitter at m tourist sports subscribe to the channel if you not if you haven't already uh at oregon football max Taurus. and then big favor to ask of you guys Share the show, share it with other Duck fans, share it with your friends, share it with your family. We just want to continue building the community here uh, at Duck's Dish and here on on, uh, YouTube um, and just keep growing the show. So that'll do it for us for this episode of the Duck's Dish podcast, another big uh, live stream and had a lot of great folks in here asking questions and comments. So appreciate you guys for tuning in and thanks for listening to the Duck's Dish podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.